Well, we're towards the end. We got one more week. We're in week four of our Far More series. And the overarching theme of this series is simply stated that far more out of your life begins and starts with far more of Jesus in your life. You got to have that part. We said you can't fabricate it. You can't do it on your own. And all of our New Year's resolutions that we want far more from prior years, that's great. But at the very foundation of it, we have to have far more of Jesus in our lives. And that's what we've seen each week as we looked at these far more examples. It begins with this interaction with Jesus, with this handing over our life to Jesus. And I'm hoping that we continue that. But here's, here's the struggle and here's the tension that, that I feel, and you might be feeling this if you're in this boat as well, that that sounds great. Like, wow, a whole series on far more, and Jesus is going to give us far more, and he desires us to experience far more. That's all great. Unless, unless you find yourself living in a space of far less. And what I mean by that is we have these hopes and dreams and pastor preaches about far more. Why am I not experiencing that right now? In fact, that's probably where a lot of us are. We like the idea of far more, but reality sets in. We go home after church. We go to work the next day. We're with our kids the following week, and we really don't feel like far more is even happening we don't even feel like far more is obtainable because we're living in this far less space. So what I'm hoping happens this morning is we figure out what to do when we desire far more. And as we've seen, God desires us to experience far more, which sometimes those definitions are different, us versus his definition. But how do we handle the disappointments, the frustrations when we're living in far less, but still hoping for far more? Here, this, this might help you think of it a little bit different. I want you to... I'm going to pull out a few things here, and I want you to see what they all have in common. So this, Cabbage Patch doll, right? Go, going way old school, right? The Cabbage Patch kids. This is my daughter's. And then we've got good old Stormtrooper. You're not a good dad if you don't have one of these in your house. I'm just letting you know. And then we've also got one of these. Remember these guys, right? Hot Wheel cars. Yes, Hot Wheels. Grew up on Hot Wheels. Now, up until this point, if you were to just to take an educated guess, what do these items have in common? They're all... Toys, right, they're all toys. I'm gonna to put a wrench in that because now I'm gonna add my wife's shoe. They all have something in common. Are you ready for this? All, all of these that I have up here, the Hot Wheels, the, the Stormtrooper, the Cabbage Patch doll, and my wife's shoe are all things that over the last seven days I have tripped over at some point. <laughs> at some point in the last week, I have tripped over, stepped on, almost broke my ankle and neck on one of these items. Now, to be fair, I could, have, I could have just filled this stage with stuff that I've tripped on. Most of it would have been mine, but I felt better about preaching against my wife and my kids, and it was just a lot easier to bring stuff that they put on the floor that I don't, right? But we trip over things, and by the very nature of tripping, these items didn't magically appear, right? In fact, they had been in that spot for actually quite a long time, way too long, as I would tell my kids. Right, so it's not a matter of these things growing legs and moving in front of you to just surprise you and cause you to trip. They had been there for a pretty long amount of time. The difference was I just either forgot about it or I didn't notice it, therefore tripping on it. Right, when you trip on something, by the very definition, you trip because you weren't aware of it. It's kind of like those things in the parking lots. You know those little, those things that are in the front of your car? Some parking lots have them, some parking lots don't. You don't know if it's there until you trip on it. It's a whole nother, I needed just to get some things out of my <laughs> chest here, but it's those things, right? You don't always notice, so maybe you knew about it, but you forgot that it was there. You get distracted, and so you don't pay attention, and what happens is we trip over something that really has been there the entire time. 
Here's what I want you to do. If you're taking notes or if you're going to write them on your phone, write them on your worship guide that you got, just write down this word, trip. Just write down trip. Because here's what I'm hoping happens this morning as we talk about far more, but really we're living in far less, how we experience far more and get out of this far less space, is really the answer isn't going to shock you. What we're going to look at in in scripture this morning isn't going to be a surprise to most of you, but I have a feeling we've either forgotten about this truth, we've gotten distracted, and so we start thinking about other things. We haven't paid attention to it in a while, but this has been there the entire time. This isn't something new and revolutionary in your faith. This is kind of the same old, same old, but we miss it sometimes. So here's what I'm hoping happens. I'm hoping you trip this morning. Not trip on your way out, and I'm not wanting that. I want you to trip in here. Over the next 20 minutes, I want you to trip over something that we're gonna look at, an, an, an example of Jesus interacting with some other individuals. I want you to trip over a truth. And we're gonna see several ways that this is gonna apply in our lives, and depending on where you're at, and spiritually, but also just, man, the season of life that you're in, you might trip over something different, that's okay. But what I don't want us to do is gloss over it. Oh yeah, yeah, I know it's there. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've heard that. I want you to trip over it because here's what happens when we trip. When you trip, there's movement. When you trip, there's action. When you trip over a toy, there's usually some words that come out first and then there's action. But point is, we move into something, don't we? You don't just trip and go on, you trip and you change. So my heart is that we would trip over some truth that we've really known that it's there this whole time, but for whatever reason, we've missed it recently. Let's trip over it again and let's have there, let, let there be some movement. It's not always an easy process. In fact, tripping is usually a painful process, but it's necessary if you want to see some change. So write down, well, that, that's your job this morning, is to be listening for what God is saying, ah, that's it for you, or that's it for me. I need to trip over that again. I've known it's there, but I've missed it for quite a while. Trip over something this morning and let there be change associated with it. So here's what we're gonna look at. An an example of Jesus interacting with several individuals, but like I said, there's gonna be something that is pretty familiar, but how do we trip over? If you got your Bibles, Mark chapter six. That's where we're gonna land, Mark chapter six. We have Jesus with his disciples, and he's gonna go to a place that is pretty familiar, and we're gonna see something happen that maybe we wouldn't have expected if you don't know the story. Mark chapter six, here's what we see, verse one, what Mark records. It says, Jesus left there, we're gonna come back to there. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. Now hold up there. One of the things you got to know when you're reading through, especially stories and like Sunday mornings, we kind of pick things apart. You don't see the whole thing. So it's important to know the context. If you want to know the text, you got to understand the context. So when it says Jesus left there, it would be good for us to know where is there. You want to know where there is? Where is there? Anybody care? Let's see how many times I can say it and get you to say yes. All right, there we go. Yes, would you like to know where there is? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Good, good. Here's the where there is. If you were to go back to chapter five, we see what Jesus was doing. And what we see at the very beginning is he actually heals a man that was demon-possessed. If you got your Bible, go back and look. Mark chapter five. And he pulls out these demons, sends them to a bunch of pigs. Crazy cool story. So his disciples see Jesus remove demons from a demon-possessed man. Then a little bit later... We see Jesus heal a woman who had been very sick for years and years and years and nobody could help her and Jesus healed her. They saw Jesus do an incredible miracle in healing this woman. And then right after that, Jesus doesn't just heal, he actually raises this little girl from the dead. So that's a lot to have happen in a pretty short amount of time. His disciples saw him 
pull out these demons and then heal this woman and raise a little girl from the dead. It's like, wow, our minds are exploding. Jesus, I never had a clue you could do all these things. So then Jesus says, let's take a trip. And so they traveled about 20 to 25 miles from where they were, where all of those miracles just had happened. The disciples were witnessing and watching the whole thing. Traveled about 20 to 25 miles to Jesus' hometown. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but his hometown was, you know this? Nazareth. Yeah, Jesus of Nazareth. And here's what you need to know about Nazareth. When Jesus would have told the disciples, all right, you saw me do some crazy cool stuff. Let's go on a field trip. I want you to go with me to my hometown of Nazareth, about 20, 25 miles away. The disciples would not have been thrilled. In fact, if you were to look at the original language and look at Nazareth, literally translated, Nazareth means a branch. It literally means a branch. Now, here's how that would translate today. Jesus would say, I'm from Nazareth, or I'm from a branch. We would say, we're from the sticks. That's how that translates. (laughs) So Jesus, literally, his hometown would have been known as the Sticks. People didn't have a lot of pride saying that they were from Nazareth. In fact, if you go back uh, early on in John, the Gospel of John, when Jesus is calling his early disciples, one of them runs to a guy named Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, you won't believe it. We think we have found the Son of God, the Messiah. You know, all of those prophecies that we've grew up hearing about and learning about, we think we finally found him. His name's Jesus. And Nathaniel's like, that's awesome. Where is he? I can't wait to go meet him. Who is he? Tell me more about him. This guy says, what's Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's attitude switches in a moment. You can look at this. Go look at John chapter one. He says this. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Wait, 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 wait. Na- you think the Messiah, the son of God is from Nazareth? And quote, he says, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. I mean, that tells you about Jesus's hometown. So for Jesus to tell his disciples, we're going to my hometown. Let me show you where I grew up. We're gonna have a little field trip. They're thinking, surely Jesus, there is somewhere else we could go. Like there's a lot of good we can do in the world. You really wanna go back there? We've heard plenty. We don't need to see it. We don't care at all about going to your hometown. But Jesus has a reason for taking them back to see his hometown. So here's what happens as he begins to walk through his hometown, Mark chapter six, verse two. It says, when the Sabbath came, he, Jesus, began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were, and what's this word here? Amazed. Hey, hang on to that word. Write it down, underline it, highlight it, do something. We're gonna use that word a lot. We're gonna see it a lot in this story. They were amazed. They see Jesus come in, he starts to preach in church in the synagogue. And they are just amazed. They are astounded. Here's what they're amazed with. Look at the next line. Where did this man get these things, they asked? Where's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? They are amazed. Wow, Jesus, you're incredible. I can't fathom. They're just at a loss for words at how amazing Jesus is. But then there's a switch. Something changes. They start out. What was the word again? They started out amazed. Look at what it turns into. Verse three. Here's the switch. But isn't, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Man, a lot changed really quick, didn't it? <laughs> Man, it, it started with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus was doing these incredible miracles about 20 miles away. And he walks into his hometown and they're amazed. Where did he get this wisdom? Where did he learn this? This is incredible. But wait a second, 
Isn't that the carpet? Isn't that Jesus? Like, we grew up with him. What is he doing here? Look what Jesus says next. Jesus said to them, only in their hometowns, among their relatives, and in their own homes are prophets without honor. We see this massive shift from these people. Jesus' hometown, the people he grew up with, being amazed, and very quickly, almost in the same breath, they're now offended. They go from amazed to annoyed very quickly. In fact, it, it, there's a subtle jab here. You probably missed it. But when, when they're talking about who is this man, they don't even say Jesus, do they? They say, wait, wait, who is this man? Well, of course they know who he is. They don't give him a name, though. Who is this man? Isn't that the carpenter? And then look at they say this. Isn't this Mary's son? Oh, you don't do that in Jewish culture. No, no, no. You, you don't say the, the son of the mother. You always refer to them the son or the daughter of the father. They should say, isn't this Joseph's son? You would, unless you didn't know who his dad was. Now imagine what was happening early on in Nazareth and Jesus' upbringing, where you've got Mary and Joseph, these new people moving into town with this little boy. And what well, we know, we know Jesus and Mary are related. That's obvious. But Joseph, I don't know. I mean, they're saying that there was an angel involved, that God got involved in this whole thing. I don't know. They don't even look that much alike. So they make this subtle jab at Jesus saying, we don't even know who your dad is. We know you're Mary's son, but we don't know if you're Joseph's son or not. You all say that an angel appeared to you. I never had an angel tell me that this whole thing was happening. You could tell that there was these conversations behind the conversations, diminishing Jesus's character in this moment. Who do you think you are? I, I know you. I grew up with you. I saw you in diapers. I saw you in your terrible twos, if Jesus, in fact, had terrible twos. <laughs> this can't be. And they went from amazed to annoyed and even to the point of offended. And you can read this uh, account in Luke. They actually drove him out of town. They ran him out of town, in fact. There's something that's happening here that, that I would call the curse of the common. Curse of the common. And this happens when things are, are close to us, when things happen regularly. And it starts out like this with something that's amazing, something that's just incredible. Starts out in this amazing remark. You are astounded that it happened. You guys remember dial-up internet when you first got it? The dee dee dee. You remember that? Some of you are like, I still have that. Yes, you might live in Nazareth. Some of you will get that later and be offended probably. That's all right. I remember when we first got it in our home and we were like, this is awesome. Like in 20 minutes, we can log on and we can look at weather around the world. Who wouldn't want to do this? And I can type out this electronic mail and send it to somebody. This is cool. But what happens? You start with something that's amazing, but when you add consistency to it, which is not a bad thing, you want the amazing things to keep happening. But an unfortunate byproduct of amazing that is also consistent, it becomes just normal. I mean, can you imagine what would happen now if we had to go back to dial-up? Like, there would be riots in the streets. Like, we get mad now when it's not fast enough. We get mad now when it doesn't work as quick as we... I'm trying to stream 13 Netflix shows. Why is this not working? We get so upset because we got used to something amazing. That's the point, right? We get used to it. You ever wonder why your kids don't say thank you very often? Right? My kids, I don't know about yours, but my kids never say, wow, thank you for this roof over my head, Father. You and Mom are wonderful people. Thank
thank you. I am amazed that God would allow us as children to be part of your family, father and mother. That does not happen. Do you know why? Here, here's how to fix that, in fact. If you want to fix it, all you got to do is make them sleep outside for about a week. <laughs> and all of a sudden, what was once amazing and consistent is not consistent anymore. And they're like, then you let them back in, right? If they don't thank you for feeding them, don't let them eat for a week. <laughs> then feed them broccoli, and they're going to think it's the best thing in the world. Thank you so much for finally feeding me. No, something that starts out amazing, when it's consistent enough, it eventually becomes something that's just normal, something that's common, something that's just typical. My wife and I, we got a van uh, this last year, and uh, old van was breaking down, so we got this one, and we got something in this van we've never had before. I mean, both of us in prior cars and everything else, we've never had this before. We finally got in our new van seat warmers. Woo, come on, preach now. You got seat warmers, give me some amens. Dude, woo, once you get seat warmers, you cannot go back. It changes your life, I'm telling you, church. You get a seat warm and you finally experience it for the first time, you'll never go back. Mm. Go through financial peace with Dave Ramsey, pay cash for your car and get you some seat warmers in that car. That's what we did. <laughs> but here's what happens. You get your seat warmers and they're incredible for a little bit, but you always have them and now it's like, oh yeah, I forgot that was on. That's cool. Right, it's not as exciting anymore. It's not as uncommon anymore. We took communion not that long ago. Man, and, and I'm not meaning to convict or push here, but we do that even in our spiritual lives, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we, we start to see Jesus as, well, I see you every Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I take communion. I've heard the spiel before. Do this in remembrance of me, yada, yada, yada. I get it, I get it. That doesn't mean it's not reverent. That doesn't mean we don't believe it. It just means we're starting to treat what was uncommon as common. That's the curse of the common. Here's how we push back against that. We have to fight against it to not treat what is uncommon as common. We do this in our families too. It's not just spiritually speaking. You've heard it said, and you know it's true, that we're pretty harsh. We're almost the meanest of the people closest to us. Well, because we treat those uncommon relationships as very common. It becomes typical and normal and just mundane. We take it for granted even. And that's what we're seeing in Jesus' hometown, people taking him for granted because they knew him. Understand, we see this divide here. Here's a truth you might trip over right here. Is we know this, but let's focus on it for a second, that there's a big difference between knowing and having faith. Jesus in his hometown, people knew of Jesus. They in fact knew him very well. I would even say people in Jesus's hometown knew Jesus better than his disciples knew him. But there's this, there's this split between knowing and having faith. And I would say believing is still part of knowing. James tells us that even the demons believe in Jesus. So we're not talking about knowing and believing. We're talking about the difference between knowing, believing, and having faith in the disciples had faith in Jesus. His hometown just knew Jesus. They didn't have faith. We have to push against the curse of the common, not to treat what is uncommon as common. Paul actually tells us how to do this. Here's some homework for you. I'm gonna go through it, but if you wanna read it in context, look at, look at this uh, within the chapter. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter five. It's got a great long list. I'm only gonna focus on a little bit of it. Here's what Paul tells us. 1 Thessalonians chapter five, verse 16. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Don't miss the all there. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. There it is. That's how you don't quench the spirit. When we quench the spirit, it means we extinguish, we put out, we, we cover, we hinder, we trap what the spirit of God is trying to do. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat what is uncommon as common. Push against the curse of the common. And Paul tells us these three things. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. That's how we push against this curse of the common. We rejoice always. We keep it in front of us always. We pray continually. We keep it on the front of our minds and we're thankful in every circumstance and in all situations. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks, gratitude helps us fight against the curse of the common. A great exercise if you're into journaling or in doing some quiet time on your own, start making a list of everything that you might, now that we're talking about it, take for granted. Just start writing out things. Seat warmers, my family, kids, church, friends. Now, I mean, just start listing everything that, man, has just become normal in your life. Draw big arrow to now gratitude. Move from taking for granted to gratitude and start thanking God for all of those things. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. It's how we push against the curse of the common because that's what his family and even his hometown experienced. That's hard to imagine though, isn't it? That your hometown would treat you this way. Your own family would treat you this way. In fact, if you were to go back, you don't have to turn there. Mark chapter three actually gives us an account of how Jesus' family even started to treat him as common. Mark chapter three, verse 21 says this. This is when Jesus was doing some other miracles and teachings. They said, when his family heard about this, all that he was doing, they went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind. That's Jesus' own family. So you have a family, you have a hometown that has started to treat Jesus as just another guy, just another person. They started to treat what was very uncommon as common. And here's the results to that, because there's, there's actual consequences to how they're treating Jesus. Here's what happens. Verse five, Mark records it. It says, he, Jesus, could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was, and here's this word again, say it with me, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, first of all, just even reading that, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. We even treat that like common. <laughs> Like, well, he couldn't do all the miracles he wanted, but he was still able to lay his hands on a few people, heal them. But like, this is Jesus. Where's like the big, where's like the feeding 5,000, raising people from the dead miracles? Even in how we, we go through and reread the stories of Jesus, we still almost have that sense of, well, that's not that big of a deal. Sure it is. <laughs> sure, that's a big deal. But again, we fall into that category of treating what is uncommon as common. But don't miss that first part there. Don't miss the results. He was unable. It said there that he could not. And we want that to be a typo, don't we? We want it to say he would not. Surely that's what the writer meant. That, that was recorded wrong. There's somewhere the translations from the original language to now, somewhere we missed that. No, it says that Jesus could not. In other words, Jesus could not outdo their unbelief. He could not overpower their unbelief. Now don't miss this. Jesus doesn't lose power. It's not that Jesus has lost any power in this, but the people have lost their appreciation, their awe, their amazement, their astonishment of who Jesus is. That was the miss. Because they started to treat what was uncommon as common. Here's a truth you might trip over this morning. The dramatic and real life implications your faith has. Your faith, my faith, our faith, individually, has direct and real life implications in this life and in the next life, in everyday living. So often we treat faith like, well, I have faith and so that's why I go to church. Well, I have faith, it was passed down to me by my parents, it's kind of a family faith thing. Right, well, I kind of fell into faith, I kind of started going to church, it was fine, it was cool, whatever. 
No, no, no. Like, faith is your life in Jesus' hands. Again, we're talking the difference of knowing and believing and having faith. The difference between Jesus' hometown and Jesus' disciples. And that faith, just like we saw here, has drastic implications. Where Jesus might want to do far more in your life, but something is holding him back. And that's a hard one as well, that sometimes our faith or lack of holds Jesus back from doing far more in our lives. Your faith has direct, immediate, legitimate, real life implications in everyday life now, but also for eternity. So far, or so often, our faith is just pushed to eternity. Well, that's there for the eternal thing. <laughs> this was real life in Jesus' hometown, and he could not. He was unable to do all that he wanted to do there. And it went from the people being amazed to then being offended, and now Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. Now, typically, that's where the story tends to end, but it actually doesn't. If you're to look in your, in your Bible, that's only the first part of verse 6. The latter part of verse 6, the way our Bible is broken up, it goes into another story. So by default, we feel like, oh, that's one story. Now onto the next story. No, they're tied together. So look at this. Here's how verse 6 actually reads. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Still in that same verse. Then Jesus, in other words, here's what he did with that. And because of that, here's what was next. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. In other words, he doesn't stop. He's not done. Just because he's rejected there, he treats it as redirection. Just because there's disappointment there and hurt there, he moves on to what's next. He said, I'm not done. And so often when we live in that space of far less, we get discouraged, disappointed, and frustrated, and we stay put. And Jesus is like, man, that, that's the reality, but I'm going to keep moving. There's somebody else that needs to hear about what I've got, the life that I bring, the hope that I bring, the peace that I bring, the far more that I bring. So he doesn't stop. He keeps going. Now, keep in mind, the disciples are with him through this entire journey. Remember, it started about 20 miles away. Look at all the incredible things, the healings, the raising from the dead, the, the healing of demon possession, to now rejected in his hometown. And now they're going on to the next village. And after Jesus does that, verse 7 says, calling the disciples, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And if, you talk about real life experience, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave is a testimony against them. He says, let me show you how we work. Let me show you how you move forward. Not forget, here's how you move forward. It would have been easy for them to get stuck there. We talked about that last week. But they move forward. And then his final, the final result of this, after he gives them the instructions, sends them out to now do what Jesus was doing. Verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. See, the disciples started to do what Jesus had done, what they saw Jesus do. And this is the huge part here. Don't miss this. I believe that the, the disciples had to see both extremes. And I think Jesus intentionally walked them through both extremes, saying, come with me. Let me show you what it looks like to heal people and to pull out demons and to raise somebody from the dead. Let me show you what can happen. Now let's take a field trip 20 miles away to my hometown. Let me show you what else can happen rejected, despised, offended, literally run out of town. But guess what? Whether it's a high or a low, a peak or a pit, guess what we're gonna keep doing? We're gonna keep moving forward. Don't stop. I think this was all part of the disciples' training. 
that Jesus didn't send them out until after they experienced the disappointment and the rejection and the difficulty. I think afterwards he says, now you're ready. You've seen the highs, you've seen the lows, now you're ready to go yourself. And you're gonna do far more than you ever thought. They started doing things they never thought that they ever could. They started experiencing things that they only saw Jesus do, that they were spectators before, but now they're actually part of and doing with their own hands because of the power of Jesus in them. So here's what I wanna say to you. You gotta grow some grit. We need to have faith, right? Not the faith like the hometown people, but true faith like the disciples that is a developing faith. My life is in your hands faith. And then we have to develop that grit. Here's an easy way to remember grit. Growth, resilience, integrity, and tenacity. And here's what grit means, because it feels kind of like that X factor, what do I do with it? Here's what grit really does. It keeps us from getting stuck. It keeps us from being paralyzed from our difficulties. Keeps us from being hindered or quenched, as Paul writes about it. It helps us to keep moving forward. So real quick, here's what growth means in grit. It means I don't know everything. The disciples had a lot of learning to do as part of their development of grit. They had to know what they didn't know and discover it. You have to be okay growing. Stretching might even be a better word there. Resilience. Resilience is another way of saying I'm not gonna give up. Yeah, it's hard, but I'm not gonna stop. Yeah, it would be easier to quit, but I'm not going to. Resilience helps us move forward. Integrity. That's a heart issue. Where's your heart at? That's almost the faith piece, isn't it? What do you believe? Are you hometown in Jesus saying, yeah, I, I know you, I believe in you? Or is it a disciple kind of faith that says, man, I'm with you high and low, wherever, whenever? Tenacity. Tenacity is different than resilience. Resilience is, a, is, is us pushing and moving forward. Tenacity says, I'm not letting go. What do you not let go of? The uncommon the sacrifice Jesus made for you and for me, the family that he's given you, we hold on to the uncommon and don't we dare treat it as common. So I would say faith and grit is what we pull out of this. What do you need to trip over? Trip over faith? It's nothing new. I can't believe it. A pastor in church is preaching on faith. Shocker. (laughs) Maybe you need to trip over faith again. What about grit? The Bible word of that is perseverance or endurance. Check out James chapter one. Maybe you need to just keep going and develop that. What do you need? Do you need more faith in your life or do you need more grit developed in your life? That's when we begin to experience far more. In the midst of disappointment and rejection and frustration and hurt, loss, don't get stuck there, but look what's on the other side of that. And it's gonna require those two things, faith and grit. And as God continues to grow those things in your life, faith and grit, let me give you a reminder on the cards that we have outside in the lobby that when you continue to move forward, flip a card. When you start tripping over your faith because, wow, it's been there, but I really haven't paid attention to it in a while, go flip a card. When you start to experience far more because right now you feel like it's far less, when you start to experience that far more doing things you never thought you would do, experience in a life you never thought you would experience, not because of what you did, but because of the faith and grit that he's put in you, flip a card continue to see your life changed. More faith, more grit. Let's keep following him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for what you are doing and how you, you push us and, and you don't leave us the same. You meet us where we're at, but you keep moving us forward. God, I pray for that this morning that for the people in here that need to trip over their faith again, where it's been there, they've got it, they know it, they're confident, they're secure in it, but maybe we don't pay enough attention to it, that we start to treat our faith too common 
Jesus, there is nothing common about you in our faith. May we never, may we never get too tired of talking about you and looking at what you've done in our life. May we never treat that as something that's normal and everyday. Help us to grow in our faith. Maybe we need to trip over grit where we're allowing ourselves to be hindered and stopped. We're quenching what you are wanting to do in our life just because we're stuck and we're not willing to move and we get discouraged and disheartened and we stay put. Help us to take a lesson from Jesus and how he taught his disciples to keep moving forward, to grow, to have resilience, to pay attention to our heart and integrity and to not let go, to have that tenacity that develops grit. Keep changing our life, Jesus. And we recognize that life change also requires highs, but also lows. With faith and grit, we can get through both. In Jesus' name, amen.